Welcome to Everything Is Up, a podcast about the real-life stories of people who have created extraordinary levels of success. These are conversations with people who are constantly striving to take things to the next level. And now, here's your host... Welcome to Everything is Up. I'm your host, Tamara Hollerick. And joining us today, and I am ever so excited and extremely honored to have Dr. Melanie Johnson with uh, Houston's Collaborative Lab. Um, Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm I'm really excited to have you today. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm just elated to be here to talk about children in Houston and our beloved organization, Collaborative for Children. I'm excited, excited. So um, I'm going to take you back to some really early days um, in my kind of stalking you um, over the last um, few days. Um, you actually grew up in a small rural southern community. Um, and you kind of knew early on that whether it was gut instinct or whether you just didn't like the school system that you were in, talk to me about from that place, that journey of you going, it's really crystal clear that I know what I need to be doing. Yeah, thanks for asking that, because oftentimes you'll hear someone who said, you know, I was seven years old and I knew I was going to be a pediatrician or a lawyer or an accountant. And I didn't know exactly what role um, I would pursue, but I did know what I didn't want to see anymore. And that was a school system that did not that was underfunded, that did not have the resources to adequately support its children in a rural town and how uh, other institutions didn't know how to come forth and support it. What I experienced as that seven-year-old was um, a, a school system where the teachers loved us very, very much, and they knew our parents, and they knew our families, you know, hence a small-town culture. Uh, however, I do also realize that I got most value out, out of my field trips, where I was exposed and transported to Booker T. Washington's home, where I heard stories about him writing debates against W.E.B. Du Bois. I loved going to the Tuskegee Airmen's Museum, just imagining them fighting in combat and worlds unknown to us, Germany, Switzerland, and and then also um, the George Washington Carver Museum, where the where I fell in love with the sciences. So I knew then that there had to be a better way to educate children where they were excited, where they were immersed in their learning experience and engaged. Yeah. So you kind of go from this. How did you end up? Because um, you went to Auburn University to get your your BA, um, and then. So you go for, I guess where I'm going with this is it's difficult enough to get out of a small town in a lot of cases. Um, and, and you're coming from, you know, a small Southern um, as a, an African-American woman, right? That, yes. that journey, you, you had to have people pushing you. You had to have those very influential people that really kind of said, you got to go, right? Yeah, I wish that were the case. I did. Of course, I had a lot of support, a lot of supportive teachers. My parents, absolutely. Uh, there is no debt of 
gratitude that I could ever fulfill um, for them. However, I have this kind of um, innate um, uh, disposition (laughs) towards fear. And if there's something that I feel that I cannot accomplish, I have to hit it head on. And one of the things that I feared was having a very high quality education. Um, There was a lot of talk in that little, small, southern, predominantly African-American town that um, it'd be challenging for you to go to even 15 minutes down the road to Auburn University because they don't even have, at the time, 1% African-American population. That was including the sports teams as well. Um, So, but my, my... my gut instinct, I guess, if you if you will, said, you've got to conquer that. You've got to go in there and see what that is about, that the rest of the town might fear or might uh, not know very much about, and go and get the best possible education that you can um, without regards to those those challenges, or real or, or unreal. Right. You know, I where I guess I was kind of taking that is despite whatever odds there were against you. And I think sometimes we put those self-limiting beliefs on ourselves, um, And then, of course, we have, you know, the community that is going, well, you know, it's going to be really hard. And yet exactly. there you are right um, yes. Now, the CEO of a Collaborative for Children, I know you've been the director for um, NASA's um, education program um, down in Houston as well. And y- you have just kind of taken that step and just said, yeah, that it does not apply to me. And I think I really want our audience to know you guys like we are all human, right? And and we all have the same challenges, most of it in our own minds. And if you can kind of get out of your own way, um, you, you can accomplish these things. Yes. It's, there's no time or room for a victim mentality. Um, even though things are dire and you see things around you that seem to be inequitable and unfair, you don't have to absorb it and, and you know, make that your plight. You are an individual with your unique and divine um, experiences and, and things that happen to you just because they're supposed to happen to you. And, you know, make the most of, of that. Make the most of it. Don't, don't be stuck in the mire because everyone else has this popular notion that you should be stuck. Right. And as an African-American female um, from the South, a small <laughs> Southern town, um, I just never had the inclination to absorb any of those negative things that would bar me. I know uh, as a people, there are certain experiences that the African-American community faces, that females face, that anybody in a, any subgroup would face. But I also know that um, I, as an individual, have my own journey to forge ahead. Well, you obviously were put on this planet to serve children in our world and because it has become part of your bigger mission, um, like almost like your life's work. And so that kind of takes me to this journey that you are on right now. I read that um, Collaborative for Children just got 
um, a $3 million donation. Congratulations. That's very exciting. Um, From a philanthropist, um, would you like to share some of that information with us? Yes. Um, it's kind of the untold story that, you know, what you see on social media is not the full extent of the story. So essentially, <laughs> I figured. Yeah. So essentially what we did, you know, Collaborative for Children was a brainchild of a, a group of philanthropists who said any organization around this greater Houston area who deals with early childhood education, let's put it under one roof called a collaborative for children. So we house the early education work for United Way, the Pelchin, different state entities, you name it. But we got to the point where we realized, at least I and the board of directors realized that if you're going to bring forth all these efforts, they've got to have one goal, a common goal or some concerted effort in order to uh, achieve you know, milestones. Mm-hmm. So in doing so, we started looking at organizations that didn't necessarily fit and weren't willing to come forth with a common goal that might have been housed under our roof, uh, but but over time just did not want to um, merge with us as successfully. So we had just offboarded uh, mutually with other organizations, state-funded organizations that cut our budget in half. Wow. Yes. And so there were times where as a CEO, I'm when I'm talking about vulnerability, I didn't know what I was going to do because my responsibility is for not only my employees, but their families as well. So there were 120 staff members and their families that I had to look after. And that decision, I I, I would say that sometimes, although my um, instinct told me it was absolutely the correct thing to do to put a company on its right feet, to merge it with a common goal. Uh, gee, nothing in the world <laughs> made me gave me affirmation that that was the right decision. And so all of a sudden, sitting in a little cafe, I get this call and it's Mackenzie Scott's team. And they basically say, we just want to thank you for the work that you've done. We've checked you out you know, meticulously, and we'd like to give you $3.3 million. And on top of that, when I got home that evening, there was another email from the county saying, we want to give you another $3 million for the work. So we're so much, not only back where we were, but we're so much further ahead by just taking that leap of faith to be, put our minds on our mission. That is, there's this underlying hidden story in there too for other CEOs who um, are, they have that fear of, for the lack of a better term, firing a client or a partner that maybe isn't the right fit. There's, when you do it for the right reasons, and obviously that can't be self-serving, right? It has to be mutual. It always works out for the best. It does. I always say, stick to your mission. You know, money will follow the mission. It is never the other way around. Oh no, you're you're correct at a hundred percent. You can't put the money first, and I think a lot of times, um, particularly younger CEOs who haven't learned that value yet, um, yes. they they're trying to win on that level. And t- you know, it's it's interesting. We all learn it. 
um, at some point in the journey. Um, but the younger, you know, CEOs, this is a valuable conversation because Absolutely. I think there's a lot to learn here. So, okay. So Mackenzie Scott, um, I know is an author and a philanthropist by just sheer nature. Um, how exciting that, you know, that you guys were able to get that. And then for the county to step in too, that is yes. really exciting all in the same day. What a blessing. So yes, it was. <laughs> I, I can only imagine just having a double whammy and one day being on the positive side, especially when you feel like, you know, if I, am I making the right decision? Because there are so many families and CEOs do take that so seriously. They, yeah. they lay awake at night and worry about having the funding. And I can only imagine in a nonprofit organization, um, that would be even more difficult because almost on a day-to-day basis, you're wondering where your funding's coming from. So, so, um, you, you ended up in NASA with their, um, I, and you, you commented just a minute ago that your love for the sciences. Um, and so I can see that being almost a perfect fit for you, um, being able to teach at the museum because you were at the museum, right? At, That's in, correct. Yes. In, at NASA. <clears throat> um, how much fun was that? I can't, I, I just think that would be a blast. It is. It was absolutely incredible. It truly was. I mean, you're really rubbing elbows with people who <laughs> soar to the moon. And, uh, and <laughs> so it's a very rare experience. But it's also amazing that you get to teach young children who are, you know, have limited aspirations that the sky truly is a limit and teach them in a way that is, you know, a museum is like a giant classroom, but a laboratory where you're fully immersed, you have your hands-on, body-on experiences. And I, I just think it's the most amazing in the world is to step out of the classroom, true to my experience as a seven-year-old girl, to be able to have that kind of learning experience. Yeah. So my mother was a teacher for 33 years before she passed. So I'm one of those. Mine too. (laughs) That's exciting. So it, and of course we're up in the DFW area. And so my mom, you know, as a teacher's kid, you go everywhere where they say go. You grade papers at 2 a.m. with them. I mean, I don't think a lot of people know that teachers' kids, um, you just get immersed in it and you either yes. love it or you don't. I'm not sure I found anybody that there's an in-between. Um, I'm not that's the true. one that loves teaching children, but I love teaching adults. And, yes. and, and that's a different, right? It's just kind of a different place. I like teaching them things they didn't learn when they were kids, which that's a whole nother story. But um, my mom up here um, knew that very thing that you're talking about, get them out of the classroom. They need real life experience. They need to do these things. And every year she would take her class down to the NASA Science Museum. Wonderful. And it was the highlight of their year, right? It was the big event you know, they bust the kids down. They spent two days um, in the museum experiencing all of that fun stuff and um, immersing them into it. And so many of those kids have gone into science and into, you know, the aeronautics field because yes. of that trip. It's it, it was almost amazing because, you know, 
you at least at least when you're in Houston, and of course, I this is just the true one, right? You live there, so you don't go because it's in your backyard. That right? is very true. <laughs> I would Most say of the visitors come from not only out of the the state, but out of the country. <laughs> oh, true. I mean, yes. So it's in your backyard, and you just never go. But um, you at least it's close. It, but to to take on taking a hundred kids you know, down to Houston and down to the museum. Um, and she just, the stories and what an impact it makes on their lives. And, you know, with you as the director down there, you know, at the helm, um, I can see the smile on your face. And I know that our listeners are listening. They can't see this, you know, big, broad smile on your face. Um, but it's um, so, you know, when you are a teacher, right, and it is part of who you are ingrained um, that just bring, I can see the joy in your body about how, how immersed you are in that world. Um, so that hands-on science type stuff, how, how much of that and the collab, the collab lab, um, I am really intrigued by what you guys are doing with this big blue charter bus um, <laughs> that you guys take out everywhere. Tell our listeners, what is the Collab Lab? Because I know, but they they just hear me going like, what is she talking about? Yes, Collab Lab is another, I kind of spawned that from my um, museum background, basically. So it's an RV, if you will, but it's a mobile school on wheels. And it's been outfitted with museum quality exhibitions and experiences. And it drives high quality early education opportunities right into communities that don't have the capacity to build a help and sustain a high quality early child care brick and mortar or traditional center. So we drive it there. We park it and parents and their children alike and come on and see basically the environment in which they live. They see parks and grocery stores on this collab lab and space centers, as you mentioned, NASA. They see all of the things in the greater Houston area that they can aspire to, um, um, that can inspire them, but also uh, it teaches them skills to be ready for school, for kindergarten as well as 21st century technology and things of that nature. That's exciting. Um, I, you know, as I'm kind of trying to find out, I'm like, this collab lab is like really cool. So you guys primarily, um, Collaborative for Children, works with early, early development, like birth to five um, years of age. That's correct. Okay. Yes. Um, just in your experience, how... How pivotal is it to have a really strong foundation those first five years? Yes, it's it's funny because I, I'm often in face of a lot of corporate executives and they're always talking about, we've got to get these kids ready out of college. And I'm thinking, if you back that up, it takes a while to see the results. But if you back that up to birth to five, where a child is developing 90% of its neural synapses, its brain is developing 90% of them. Those, those neural synapses, even after they prune somewhere between ages two to four, they hold steadfastly to those experiences that are most meaningful in their lives. Like the brain is mush and then like a little, I don't know, bowl of jello, but it 
becomes strengthened and it becomes wired by the experiences that it has. So without um, adverse childhood experiences, you know, adults leaving them stranded or alone to scream and cry, but being picked up and soothed and interacted with and, and giving them broader experiences and how to deal with the world at large, those things happen between birth to five. If you don't get that then, that's when you're looking around in your boardrooms and you're saying, well, why does someone, that person over there always talk out of turn? And why does this person feel that they always have to get their way or they have no delayed gratification? Those things must be taught when the brain is developing 90% of its neural synapses. Yeah, I, I recently, because I, as I was kind of looking at, you know, those first five years and kind of some of the things I've seen that you've spoken on. And um, I, I was like, okay, 90%. Then with, you know, our phones are listening all the time. I thought it was really interesting. The other day, um, I just happened to be on Facebook looking at what some of my team has been doing. And this young girl, probably six or seven, standing on stage, talking about how important it is for adults to interact with children ages zero to five. And she was talking about um, how important it is to play with us. And here's why you want to play with us. So there is um, some and and I wish now that you and I are talking, I wish that I would saved it because I was like, I could send that to her. She'd be totally intrigued by it. Oh, um, you get a chance, please send it. <laughs> I, if I can go back and find it, I will. It was yes. just really interesting because she's young and she's, and then she throws up on the screen um, what it looks like for a child when the dad's playing with it. And then when the dad picks up an electronic and kind of ignores them, but is sitting there, but how the kid starts climbing on him. Yeah. It, it was yes. really interesting. Very, and I very thought that visual for me, I was like, Ooh. Oh, I probably did that. Like, I, you yes. know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, what did I do? Um, because it was that, it just hit me that hard. And then I started researching, you know, the collaborative for children. And I was like, oh, wow, we yes. as a society are missing it because you're right. You're missing it. You're right. All of the conversations, um, around these high schoolers, you know, getting them ready and, you know, particularly public schools where it's like, it's all about the scores and the testing and, you know, all of this, it's like, oh, you're right. What if we just back this up about 15 years? That's right. Exactly. It's very, very important. And, you know, the one group of our citizenry that can't stand up and wave the flag and say, look at me, I'm super important. And even though you have the, the science to back this up, um, you're not picking me uh, or our children ages birth to five. So someone has to speak for them. So Collaborative for Children will always be that organization that will do so. 
That is super exciting. I am um I'm excited for Collaborative for Children. Thank you. I am excited for you. Um I just thought how amazing um this woman is that's taking on this mission and you're taking it on with a vengeance. So one, I just have to say thank you. And two, I am so proud of you uh, oh, for you. for really um, you know. You know, it it's not always easy, right? And we don't always take the easy path. Um, but you never quit. You are like that energizer bunny. I was like, she's an energizer bunny. This is so exciting. <laughs> um, and she just keeps on going. And so it's like, how can our audience um support you? Let's talk about that. Well, our website is collab for F-O-R, not the number four, but F-O-R, children.org. And there are volunteer opportunities there. You can read to a child. Your corporation can come and do playground beautification. You can be a teacher's aide for the day for those who are had aspired to be teachers but don't really want to be on a teacher's payroll. Um, there are lots of opportunities. And of course, you can always donate to this work because the more we receive, the more we're able to serve. Nice. Okay. Well, before I let you go, I thought you and I could do something a little fun. I mean, you are kind of sitting in with a doctorate, so I know you're really smart, um, but I thought it might be fun for us to just pay, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Um, <laughs> just really quickly, I got a couple of questions for you and I figure give us a last minute here and then I will give everybody a way to get in contact with you, but okay. just something maybe a little fun and it'll be things that I know you know, but we'll just okay. run through them really quick. Okay. So All right, here's hoping. <laughs> here's hoping. <laughs> okay. Question number one, what does NASA stand for? National Aeronautic Space Association. <laughs> Close. Administration. You got Administration. It. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's okay. been 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Who was the first person to walk on the moon during Apollo 11 mission? So Buzz Aldrin. Even though uh, there's some conflict there, I, I see different pieces of research, but Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, that's funny because um, I saw Buzz Aldridge and my um, executive assistant found Neil Armstrong. And I was like, I bet there's a story there. There is a story. But only these two men can probably tell us. So That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What planet is known as Earth's sister planet um, because of its similar size and composition? That'd be Mars. Believe it or not, I said Mars too, but it's Venus. Ah, was really well, I, I was talking about potential habitability. I, I mean, that's what I've said. Yes, I, and Mars has climates. It has some potential to have water. It has some, um, you know, ability for us to grow things there, even if we have to do it with hydroponics or aeroponics. Um, Venus is far too cold. So that's, that's the reason I why said. I opted I, out. Yeah. So I said, okay, the internet's not right all the time. That's my stance <laughs> on that one. Okay. So well, and maybe when, I'm thinking far too deeply. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know because I'm like, I saw the movie Mars too. And I was like, we <laughs> Mars is like at least it's got climate. So, okay. So um, which NASA space telescope was launched in 1990 and has provided stunning images of distant galaxies and um, the nebulae? Um, Hubble? 
Hubble. Yeah. I was like, that was very cool. Cause I was I'm like, surprised I remember all this. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's, you know, I'm like, she's a science girl. We can ask her science questions, but we'll just tie it into when she was at NASA and see if she's remembers much of this. <laughs> um, okay. So you'll get this one. What is the name of the Rover from NASA that they sent to Mars in 21? Called a big, big festival for the entire community. It was a huge festival for that. Um, and it has escaped. But this is, it's perfect because it reminds me of you. It's perseverance. Yes. Yes. I'm like, that's the one. Okay. You'll know this one. Who was the first American woman in space? She passed away a few years ago. And I can see her face because she visited the conference. Boy, I've been out of space so long. <laughs> and um, Sally Ride. Sally Ride. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what do astronauts wear to protect themselves in the vacuum of space? Well, a spacesuit known to everybody else. <laughs> spacesuits known to everyone else. Okay. Yes. Um, which planet's known as the red planet? That'd be Mars. Mars. And what was the name of the first space shuttle ever built by NASA? It space. doesn't always it doesn't always come um with the best memories. Challenger. No, oh, I, Yes. Well, no, the Columbia was the first one built. But Columbia the then Challenger. Challenger. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the Challenger was the one that will be infamous forever, I think. Um, yeah, it was such a, um, I think that was such a very sad time for our nation, but for Houston particularly. It really was. Um, yeah, because because it, we had regular people on the Challenger. Yeah, yes. it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a robot and it, it wasn't an orangutan. So yeah, it was very sad for all of us. And That's then correct. which year, um, this might be showing my age, but what year did NASA's Apollo 11 mission successfully land on the moon? You probably uh, weren't here yet. I don't know if I were here. <laughs> you probably weren't here yet. <laughs> Um, I was here, but I was just a baby. Um, but it was in 69 in 1969. Yes, that's right. Well, yeah. I was a, a few months old. <laughs> yeah, just not very old. I not was quite one year yet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, but it I remember my mom talking about, you know, that she's my mom had always said there are places in time that you never forget where you are. She said, when the man landed on the moon. When yes. JFK was assassinated uh, and 9-11. So yes. she said those three major events in her life. And I was like, well, I've been here for two, but remember one. Yeah. So, yes. 9-11 is the one that I do remember and I'll always remember. Yes. I, I remember where I was standing, where yes. I was wearing everything. Yeah. Me too. I was talking to my dad on the phone, but this is weird. So yeah, all of it's really weird. Dr. Johnson, I have thoroughly enjoyed and thank you for playing my um, fun. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? <laughs> because I know I put you on the spot. Tell our right. audience, how can they get in touch with you? Um, the best way to get in touch with you. 
Yes, our website is collab, C-O-L-L-A-B, for F-O-R, children, C-H-I-L-D-R-E-N, dot org. Collabforchildren.org. And you'll find all kinds of resources for parents, teachers, and child care providers there. That's fabulous. Thank you so much. Are you active on LinkedIn? I am, yes. Okay, fabulous. And so guys, you can also reach out um, on LinkedIn. Tell, you know, just let her know you heard her speak on Everything Is Up. And I'm going to go ahead and close us out here. Um, This is Tamara with Dr. Melanie Johnson from Collaborative for Children on Everything Is Up. Make sure you like and share. Hey, you guys have a great day. Thank you, Dr. Johnson. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Everything Is Up. Be sure to appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. And remember, everything is up. Everything is up.